here's the truth, right? The church's <laughs> one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Yeah. He was her one foundation. He still is her one foundation. Yeah. And he always will be like, he loves the church. He gave himself for her. He cares about her purity, her faithfulness, and he will in the future come back and claim his bride. Yes. And if that ain't relevant to present and future generations of believers, like what is? Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And today we're going to look at a hymn that is more than mere theory. We're talking about the church's one foundation and we'll be looking into the controversy surrounding the writing of this hymn and the choice of tune, questioning the attitude of some professing Christians that they have towards Christ's church and reminding ourselves just how much Christ loves his precious bride. But first, if you're listening on YouTube, hit subscribe and ring the bell so that you're notified when we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere you listen to your podcast, but the best way of all to keep in touch is by heading over to himpartial.com and subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. This is only released once a week and comes with all kinds of fun bonus content that you cannot get anywhere else. Also, don't forget that we're still running our giveaway of the Banner of Truth edition of the works of John Newton. To find out about how you can enter that giveaway and win this beautiful cloth set head over to himpartial.com and sign up today yep um that giveaway will be running for another couple of weeks but you snooze you lose and it's banner so it's beautiful (laughs) okay so the church is one foundation uh the writer is a guy called samuel john stone so john being his middle name and stone being his surname not john stone you know yes so not johnston but john stone Uh uh-huh um He was born in Whitmore in Staffordshire, which is in England, Mm -hmm. on April 25th, 1839. Mm -hmm. His father was a minister as well. Samuel followed in his footsteps. Mm -hmm. He studied at Pembroke College, Oxford, and he graduated with his bachelor's in 1862. He then took orders, which means he kind of just was ordained and became a minister in the Church of England. Okay. And he served in various churches um, for a little while. But in 1874, he succeeded his father at a church called St. Paul's Hagerstown. Odd name. (laughs) Um, It wasn't normal for a son to kind of like take over when his father left. That was a bit kind of odd. Really? Okay. Well, I think people kind of looked down on it. Like, is he getting this position because you're his son or are you getting it because you're qualified? Yeah. But he was qualified. It was fine. Um, so Stone was a prolific hymn writer as well as translating a number of hymns, I think from Latin. Oh, wow. Um, and these were collected and published in 1885. Mm-hmm. And he also published several volumes of poetry in his lifetime. And he was a pretty good poet. Um, and his hymns and his poetry often had quite hopeful themes. Um, and he was well respected enough that he was part of the kind of team that put together the hymnal Hymns Ancient and Modern. Ah. Yeah. Um, but sadly, the Church's One Foundation is pretty much the only thing that we still, is still kind of widely sung or widely known that was by him. Okay. Like you can find his works, but it's quite difficult. You got to do quite a bit of digging. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He was an interesting guy. He had a really good education and seems to come from quite a privileged background. Okay. Um, but his ministry was largely in very poor areas of London. Um, and he was known as the poor man's pastor. Really? Yeah. Seems to kind of be a trend of well-educated men going to kind of more um, socially needy areas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but although he ministered to their often very deep physical needs, he was also a guy who didn't neglect the gospel. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't one of these guys that's just, you know, like social reform and that's my gospel. He was like, no, these people need to not go to hell as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, he was a very tender-hearted guy, mm -hmm. um, but he also had quite a fierce streak. So he fought quite vehemently against the rise of theological liberalism in his day. We're mm -hmm. talking Victorian era. Um, so he refused to yield even like an inch to higher criticism and evolutionary philosophies, which were becoming very popular at that time. Mm. There are actually a lot of those things are mainstream today. Yeah. Um, but... Thank you for sticking up for that while you could. <laughs> there is actually, like, he wasn't perfect. Sometimes his temper maybe got the better of him. Mm. Like, he wasn't an angry man, but he was very kind of, like, strong sense of right and wrong. Yeah. And one time there's a story. He came across this man who was mistreating this young girl. He's being really harsh with her. And Stone beat him up. Wow. He was just like, no, we don't do that here. Don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's his life. There's not really a lot to know about him. Mm. Um, it was pretty much, he spent his life preaching and defending the word of God, ministering to those in need and writing hymns. And he died in November, 1900 at the age of 61. Um, full life lived serving the Lord. Yeah. He sounds like he could have been a quite intense guy. It's like, kind of cool. I think sometimes we want like these, like, you know, and then he traveled across the Atlantic and he barely made it, you know, through a stint of scurvy and malaria. Yeah. And, you know, it has to be like something dramatic. But like, what's that book? Um, is it Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor or something like that written by D.A. Carson about his dad? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's. It's moving and loving yeah. how, how faithful his dad was in, in ordinary ministry. It's being faithful in mm -hmm. the long haul rather than being faithful in one massive thing. It's the constant day after day after ordinary day mm -hmm. and just keeping being faithful. And mm -hmm. I, I think that is something really to be valued. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Mr. Stone. Mm -hmm. We're going to kind of look at the tune first because there's not much to say about it and I'm more excited that the actual lyrics. <laughs> um, so there are a few interesting facts about this tune. The first is that it was composed by Samuel Sebastian Wesley, grandson of Charles Wesley. I was going to say, one of the Wesleys. Yeah. The, the good one. <laughs> Which one of them? I don't know. <laughs> um, so he was an English organist and composer. He inherited his father, grandfather's musical gifts. Okay. And he originally wrote the tune called Aurelia. And it was written for a song called Jerusalem the Golden, Aurelia being derived from the Latin word for gold. Okay. Yep. I was like, who's Aurelia? <laughs> it, is, it is also a gold, a gold name, a girl's name. <laughs> but yes, it's mm -hmm. from the Latin word for gold. 
Yeah. Um, because hymn writers do things like that. Yeah. But it is the same tune we sing to Facing a Task Unfinished. Why? Why did I think that? It is. No, I mean, like, before you said it, I was like, you're that probably, was in my head. Yeah, you're probably like, sometimes I'll find myself humming the tune and then I'm like, I don't know which hymn I'm humming. I'm just humming the tune. Oh, duh. That, sorry, guys. I just had a really, like, brain empty it's moment. Like, I was humming the song, The Church is One Foundation, and just realized this very second that it's the same tune as yeah, Facing the Desert Finish. It's like when you say, Baba Black Sheep, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and the Alphabet Song are all the same tune, yes. and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, your life changes forever on that day. <laughs> yeah, so it is, it's the same tune. It's yeah. called Aurelia. So that wasn't actually the tune that Stone wanted for his hymn. Um, Hmm. There has been debate about whether this tune is actually a good tune or not. Really? Debate? Yeah. Between who? Who's debating? I'm about to get to it. Uh, so I'm personally, personally ambivalent about it. I don't mind it. Don't have a problem with it. But I mention it because there was something about this debate that really tickled me. Um, there's a composer by the name of Henry J. Gauntlet who called this tune, and I quote, inartistic, secular twaddle. <laughs> Ooh, twaddle. That feels like a proper English insult. (laughs) He really threw down the gauntlet there. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. I I knew it. I couldn't help it. It gets worse. Um, I couldn't work out why he would say that, but Samuel Wesley, um, and hold on to your hats for this shocking revelation, he also wrote non-religious music and he was involved in the theatre. Oh, goodness. He was going straight to hell in a handbasket. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this guy. Anyway, yeah. The funny thing about this is that Stone himself, when he wrote the song, said, here's two tunes that work really well that I like with the song I just wrote. Mm-hmm. One of the, Neither of them were Aurelia by Samuel mm-hmm. Wesley. Well, of course. But one of them was written by Henry J. Gauntlet. <laughs> Really? So maybe this was like, just like... Just sour grapes. Yeah, that's what it was. He was like, oh, I can't believe you used a tune. My tune was the originally requested tune. But the funny thing is that ever since, um, regardless of what Stone said, ever since that hymn was published, it's always been Aurelia. People have yeah. just always sung it to that. Yeah. That's somehow, they just completely ignored him. Anyway, Mr. Gauntlet was not happy of um, course. I think it kind of perpetuates the stereotype of like musical people being petty princesses. Petty. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Um, but that made me smile. So anyway, um, to the hymn. Of all the many, many hymns that Samuel wrote, the church's one foundation has stood the test of time. Mm. And when you say it like that, it's kind of funny. Um, but why this particular hymn. It was written in 1866 when Stone was just 27 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were two main things that sort of converged into the writing of this hymn. The most basic motive was similar to that of John Newton. We talked in the last episode about how they wrote only hymns um, to teach some of the less literate people in the parish Um, deep theological truths. Mm -hmm. So Stone's parishioners could recite the Apostles' Creed by heart. 
And he noticed that, you know, they were really good. They were doing that even as part of their daily devotions. But he was kind of just like, they know this by heart and they're reciting this by heart, but I don't think they really understand what it is that they're talking about. Um, so he the he took the 12 sections or articles as they're called mm-hmm. of the confession and he wrote a hymn expanding on each of them. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, there's a musical group called Cardiphonia. Cardiphonia? Cardiphonia? I don't know. They, um, they have taken his um, little section of 12 hymns and they've revamped them. So you can actually look them up. But okay. Yeah, Mona, do you actually, do you just want to read the Apostles' Creed for us? It's only short, and I think our listeners might recognize it when they hear it, but just so that it's like yeah. there in their head. I'll definitely read it because I have not memorized this. <laughs> I have not memorized this either. <laughs> I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who has who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Yep. So... That was a normal thing to kind of recite during services and things. Um, I think it's important to say when we say the Holy Catholic Church, it's Catholic small c, not Roman Catholic. And it just means the universal church. Yeah. yeah. Like the worldwide church. Um, so this hymn is based on the ninth article, which is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. Okay. Yeah. Um. So this hymn was a teaching aid um, at first, but it was more than that. The second issue that caused Stone to write this hymn was a church-wide controversy that had much further reaching implications and, to be honest, still kind of impacts us today. Okay. So in 1862, a few years previously, the Bishop of, I think it's Natal, South Africa, his name was John William Colenso, And he had written a book called The Pentateuch and the Book of Joshua Critically Examined. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, It wouldn't be a big deal now. Like there are Christian, professing Christian publishers out there who publish it and be like, yeah, it's a standard textbook. But um, it does take me back, brings back the pain of my university days. But um, back then, it was still new to the English-speaking world, the whole idea of what we call higher criticism. Mm -hmm. In non-academic terms, his argument was this. The Bible can't possibly be literally true. That's the entire book summarized in a sentence. Nothing new under the sun. I know. this, This kind of thinking had been around in German Uh, theology for a while Mm. but it was beginning to make its way into the english-speaking world Mm -hmm. this guy happened to be one who wrote a book on it um and it may seem odd that stone who was a pastor in london had any interest in something that was going on in south africa um especially remembering that we're talking the age of steamships and you know handwritten letters Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah i guess it's harder to get get the news yeah it takes a bit longer for yeah. the filter through so it's a bit odd 
um, that he's interested in this controversy halfway across the world. Mm. What happened was Colenso's book had split the church in South Africa. The Bishop of Cape Town, a guy called Bishop Gray, and a few other ministers had moved to depose Colenso. So they were like, dude, get out. Yeah. Um, And Colenso was refusing to submit to their authority. So basically they were like, dude, no. And he's like, make me. Goodness gracious. (laughs) Um, And as a result, this is the problem with Presbyterianism. Because they couldn't resolve it, themselves they had to appeal back to the anglican church in england and say can you sort this for us um because the anglican church came back and they were like gray you don't have the authority to move colenso from his office even though he's blatant heretic i mean to be fair colenso had been off in weird territory for years so (laughs) i'm not even kidding like oh I yeah. You. Um, some of his theology was actually influenced by the secular poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who I mentioned in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that was some of the higher criticism stuff. And although Colenso was like a staunch defender of the Zulus against colonial and Boer oppression, which is a good thing, um, he fought for their rights and their freedom. That's great. Mm-hmm. His theology mm-hmm. was like completely wacky. Yeah. But usually. <sighs> I don't want to say usually is the problem. There's loads of problems, but I do think when um, there's no accountability between leaders, uh, well, for leaders amongst mm-hmm. what they teach, then you... You're kind of like, how did this guy even get appointed? Okay, so... Yeah. He'd written previously on why it was okay for Christians to be polygamists, like after conversion, because polygamy was normal, like among the Zulus and the other tribes there. And he was like, yeah, that's totally fine. Even after conversion, just stay married to them all. Um, uh, He also believed that all the different races on earth were created separately by God at the beginning because they're all too different to have come from only only like two people a few thousand years previously. That's double yucky. And he didn't preach eternal damnation. He didn't like that as a doctrine, so he didn't preach it. So when, um, you know, some of these Zula guys were coming to faith, he wouldn't say to them, yeah, your family who are worshipping spirits and ancestors are going to hell. He was kind of like, no, we don't do that here. That's not nice. It's just that I think we talked about it last week, that unloving nature of not sharing the gospel rightly it's like you yeah. ju- you're just basically telling your number neighbor you don't love them it's kind of crazy because like he evidently loved them enough to be like stop enslaving these people stop treating them poorly they're human beings but he didn't love them enough to actually care like about their eternal fate just their temporary one sometimes though like i'm just gonna be harsh because it's late but <laughs> sometimes we can overemphasize good deeds to Mm. cover our own sinfulness you know like I've had examples of folks who are uh, quite giving quite philanthropic quite you know advocates for social justice if I could say that word which I don't want to say it and yet you look at their own personal testimony and like they've made shipwreck of their faith in a lot of ways um, though they still claim Christ, mm. they're not really representing his church. Yeah. And obviously this this dude was not. But you just wonder, like, 
who gave him the green light to be a minister? Yeah. Come on. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all the same. Um, <laughs> this met- particular method of biblical interpret- interpretation, um, higher criticism was becoming more widely known and practiced in yeah. the English-speaking world. Um, and Stone, as we mentioned earlier, was a very fierce de- defender of scripture. Mm-hmm. So he brought this controversy out of the kind of ivory tower and into the lives and thoughts of everyday people, um, showing them why these things do matter to those of us who don't have letters after our names or our mm-hmm. bishops and things. Yep. And because I think sometimes it's easy to think, well, it's those academics arguing about stuff again, but actually it impacts us too. Um, so that's how the church's one foundation came into being. It was a teaching tool, but it was also a defense of the truth. Yeah. And I know that was a super long explanation, (laughs) but I think that having that background is kind of helpful as we look at this hymn and it helps us to understand the weight and reality of what it is that we're singing. Mm -hmm. Um, This hymn was never just theory for Samuel Stone. Yeah. So let's actually get to the hymn. (laughs) (laughs) It was originally written with seven verses. Monet, do you want to read those to us? Okay, I gotta gotta sit up straight. (laughs) The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her and for her life, he died. She is from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those who hate her and false sons in her pale against both foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. Though with a scornful wonder, men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult, tumult of her war, She waits the consummation of peace forevermore till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one and mystic sweet communion with those who rest, whose rest is one with all her sons and daughters who by the master's hand led through the deathly waters, repose in Eden's land. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. There, past past the border mountains, where in sweet vales the bride, with thee by living fountains, forever shall abide. It's a long one, but it's a good one. (laughs) It is a good one. I was singing it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, thoughts on those lyrics? I mean, it's a lot here, but I love the the 
clarity in which he's approaching mm-hmm. these these topics. You know, it's like, who is the church? What is the church? What are we for? You know, and I love the way he speaks about our relationship to church and the relationship of our church, the church and the Lord. Words escape me today. Um yeah, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cries go up how long, and soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. I think mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. I don't think I've sung that verse. I think we might have sung it. Maybe you weren't there that year, but there was one year at Swanwick, we were at a conference, and it's all like church planners and pastors and mm-hmm. some church members, mm-hmm. but we're all like tiny churches. Mm-hmm. And the theme yet that year had been about suffering mm-hmm. um, and suffering well. I remember you know, singing that with 150 people and just being like, oh man, (laughs) yeah, the cry's going up how long? Yeah. (laughs) But there was also that kind of like, we've got hope, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, that whole verse is really just about the the reality of schisms and the the heartache of church life. Yeah. I think it's one thing that the longer you walk with the Lord in his church— you realize that it's a miracle at all that churches stay together. Um, And it is. The Lord is faithful to keep his church um, because if it was up to us, it wouldn't be kept for too long. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you see churches hollowed out by false teaching. You see it all around you, you know, especially in the West. Broken apart by these things as well. Yeah. So it it is a real, that's a real verse, you know, that hits hard, that hits home sometimes, you know. Yeah. And I think it hits home all the more now knowing about what was going on that made him write that. Yeah. Um, And I I think this hymn has lasted so long because it's so true. Yeah. Um, To be fair, most modern hymnals leave out verse three and then they combine verse six and seven so that there are only actually five verses. So it's not as long. Um. The hymn caught on quite quickly and was widely sung in its day. But I think we kind of have to concede that there was probably an element of politics to that. Because it was, yeah. Um, The Victorians loved a good controversy and a good scandal. So (laughs) um, that probably did bump its popularity. But I think the fact that it has lasted is testimony to its truth. Mm. Um, In Stone's time, some people actually called it the battle song of the church. Hmm. Which is interesting. I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing might seem quite extreme and divisive, but the church matters and Mm -hmm. Christ cares about purity and faithfulness of his bride. And those who deny Christ and his word have to be dealt with. And the church must constantly be checking herself against God's word and conforming herself to it. So verse one affirms that Christ is the church's one and only foundation. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear. In case you were wondering. Yeah. So, um, although the bride image is really beautiful, it's very full of love, Mm -hmm. it's good to note that Christ bought her with his blood. Yep. Going back to the blood again. Yeah, we're back on the blood. (laughs) Um, We were bought at a high price. And so we should be slow to deprecate the church as Mm. like a man-made institution or Mm. organized religion. Um, It is not a man-made institution. This was Mm. God's idea. And I don't know about you, but 
I feel like I just, I know too many professing Christians who aren't members of a local church or who don't go to church at all. And they claim that they don't need to, that their faith is between them and God. Um, you know, they don't need organized religion to get in the way of, you know, their relationship with God. Yeah. And if you love Christ, you ought to love his body. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know of, uh, like you said, unfortunately, too many professing Christians that say, I'm just going to be honest, arrogant things like, mm-hmm. well, the church needs to teach me or the church needs to equip me or the church needs to X for me, this consumer kind of like... Yeah, the one that gets you know, me is, well, I don't get anything from church. So yeah. It's not for you. <laughs> but, and I heard this said recently, this sounds dangerously like you are not a Christian. Yeah. Because the thing that unites the church is Christ... And if you have nothing in common with the church, then you do not have Christ in common. Yeah. Um, And I say, I'm not saying that. I I forgot who said it. I recently just read this. This is another more brilliant person than me. Um, But the word dangerously is important because your fate is in in that statement. Saying you don't have anything in common with the church is, is dangerous. The point is, be involved in your local church. If you ain't, you need some help. We will help you find a local church wherever you're at. (laughs) Yeah. And if you want to understand why it's so important, then there are plenty of good resources out there. We'd happily share them with you. Yeah. Okay. First two. (laughs) We're going to power through these if we can. Um, Verse two reminds us um, how the church should be united around the word of God. And this verse references Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. Monet, would you mind reading that? No problem. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yep. One of the things I really like about this verse is the unity. Yeah. Yeah, one. there's one one Lord, one faith, one birth. But I also love that the elect are from every nation. Yeah. So there's that unity through Christ, but there's also like every nation in that. That's cool. Yeah. I like it. Um, verse three encourages us to remember that no matter what trouble and opposition the church faces, and she does in every generation, mm-hmm. the fight can look different generation to generation, but it's still a war. Um the church will continue forever. Mm-hmm. And as Matthew 16 says, the gates of hell won't be able to stand against her. Yep. Christ is building his church and nothing can stop that. And no matter how much of a struggle it feels in the present fallen world, he's going to build his church. Yeah. Um, just a note that the line about false sons in her pa- in her pale is uh, Samuel Stone throwing shade on Colenso. That's direct, like... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, we're talking about you. <laughs> um, pretty much everyone at the time knew it. Uh, but the beauty of this hymn is that even though it had a very specific historical context, um, the wording itself is general enough that it's timeless truth. Yep. Um. And then verse four and verse three, to be fair, they're a healthy dose of realism. I think every generation has this issue and heresy will always trouble the church. Mm-hmm. But if we hold fast to Christ, our one foundation and the word he gave us, we can stand fast. Mm-hmm. 
And we have to remember that although it's painful, Christ is coming back from his bride for his bride. There's mm. no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. So verse five continues this theme of battle and struggle, reminding us that we have to stand fast and defend the truth now, but victory is coming. Victory is guaranteed. And with it, peace at last. Um, and like you said, I really like that this hymn is so conscious, like of the history of the church, like of the present struggles as well, but also of like the future hope that we have. Yeah. Um, and verse six gives us a hope to hold on to. Um, it reminds us that we'll always be united with God and he's not going to abandon us. Yeah. And then lastly, verse seven is like a breath of relief. The hymn has talked about hardship and difficulty. And then now we have this reminder that there is joy and peace in the grace of God towards us. God is now helping us heavenward where it all ends in glory. Glory. And Christ takes his bride to be his forever. Hmm. So I'm just going to wrap up with one small piece of trivia about a more recent disagreement over this hymn. Really? Well, I think it's both interesting and telling. It almost like just illustrates the point of the hymn. Yeah. Uh, So in 2013, the Church of Scotland had a list of outdated and unsuitable hymns. Okay. Yep. And it was going to cut them from use completely. Uh, The Church of Scotland is like the state church here yeah yeah. um so when they're like we don't use these hymns anymore it's kind of like none of the churches really i mean you could if you wanted to but okay they're not going to police it but they're kind of like we don't do this um and the church's one foundation was on this hit list and that says a lot about the church of scotland to be fair yeah but the only reason that it wasn't cut was so many people got mad about it and objected so like the uh, what do you call them? Like the hierarchy, the high up guys, the clergy, whatever. I definitely don't know what they're called. The big boss guys were like, no, this is irrelevant and outdated. And then the people in the pews were like, no, we love this song. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't cut in the end. But the minister who was supposed to present the list to the committee um, basically responded by telling people they shouldn't be so sentimental about these outdated songs specifically referring to the church as one foundation wow and i wasn't going to say much more about it except that i read what he said the actual quote and now i want to quote him okay because it's actually really relevant to this hymn and if anything it illustrates the point samuel stone was making yeah so this guy the church scotland guy he said there is something unjust if a church includes a hymn which only speaks to the past of those who are singing it and not to the future of those who are being born that is really embarrassing for a minister, someone who supposedly... Yeah, I didn't name him because I thought, not uh, that anybody's going to know who he is, but I was like, I don't want him to have that shame. That is shameful. Yeah. Really? Because here's the truth, right? The church's <laughs> one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Yeah. He was her one foundation. He still is her one foundation. Yeah. And he always will be like, he loves the church. He yes. gave himself for her. He cares about her purity, her faithfulness, and he will in the future come back and claim his bride. Yes. And if that ain't relevant to present and future generations of believers, like what is? <laughs> That's really shameful. Sorry. Yeah. I know that was just an end note, but I'm ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, 
to pick it up again. Be encouraged. Yes. Be part of the church. Yes. That's the point of this song. Mm-hmm. And Christ is our foundation. So, you know, keep going back to his word. Keep being part of his church. Amen. Amen. I mean, that is quite a history. I love to see a little bit of historical shade every now and then, um, <laughs> especially uh, for those who are speaking ill or speaking um, carelessly towards the cry. The, bride of christ like we appreciate you know sometimes churches are hard of course yep. they are they got sinners in them yeah but you know what christ has said it's good mm. for you so just take his word for it yeah like, take his word for it um well like we said we have a contest giveaway going on to win these books behind us make sure you go to himpartial.com to get the details um we are really looking forward to future episodes but you need to sign up to our mailing list to make sure that you do not miss all of the fun bonus content that we jam pack into our newsletters um very encouraging episode thank you cara and until next time may the lord bless you and keep you bye, bye.